I'll draw your attention back to Ephesians 6 this morning, verse 10. Ephesians 6, 10, and we'll read down through verse 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Let's go ahead and read 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you. Lord, we are weak when we stand in our own strength. Lord, we thank you that we have a Savior our Lord, and that we might stand in the strength of His might. Lord, give grace this morning that we might hear from Your Word. Bless our fellowship, bless our worship. Lord, may You enrich us with Your Word this morning. In Your name we pray. Amen. Well, as I began to look at this passage, which we started last week, I, uh, I really began to think about our enemy. A lot of questions came to my mind regarding our enemy. Uh, we spent last week with an overview of this passage of Scripture here, verses 10 through 12 in chapter 6. And I wanted to make sure that we did that before we looked in more detail at who our enemy is, uh, where he came from, the the fall that took place. And I trust, though, that once we look at this today, we'll end up back in the same spot that we ended last week. Seeing that our only hope to survive, our only hope for life and victory in this conflict that Paul brings before us, is found in the person and the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what Paul has shown us. The plan of God in reconciling lost and fallen men is to be found in Christ. He placed His people in Christ. He gave them to Christ to redeem. And each and every piece of this armor that Paul is going to talk about as we get further into this passage in the coming weeks, is given to us in and through Jesus Christ. It's only ours in Jesus Christ. But as I began to think about things regarding this enemy that Paul puts before us, this, this one that we are to stand against in his schemes, this devil, I had questions. Who is he? Where did he come from? Why is he our enemy? Why are we engaged in a battle with him? Why do we have an enemy that we must stand against? These are all questions. I think sometimes we've just always heard these things. 
and have never really pondered what they mean. Because these are things that we grow up hearing about. Well, have we been somewhat leery of looking into these things because of what they deal with? That could be another reason. What I found is that the answers to some of these things are pretty difficult. We don't have Scripture in clarity like we do in other matters regarding Satan's creation, his fall. We have some Scriptures that talk about these things, but we don't have the clarity that we have, certainly not the clarity that we have in the scriptures presenting to us who Christ was and what Christ has accomplished. So these things can be difficult when the answer is not readily given to us, and I think that we rightly ought to use caution when we look into these things. Uh, Grace should be given because there's differing opinions on these things. And I hope that this is our attitude as we look at some of them here this morning, that, that we have a gracious spirit and that we look into these things and trust that the Lord will reveal what He would have for us to see through this this morning. Before I really begin, I, I want to make sure that you all know that these are things that are just not off the top of my head. Um... I've been looking into these things for a while now. Some of the questions that I looked for answers for and have somewhat settled in my own mind about what I believe regarding these things. Well, in doing that, I sought out others to see what what their opinions and their views of these things were. Um, And those were helps in sometimes arriving at conclusions or correcting conclusions or, or confirming conclusions that I had drawn. I've had an opportunity to speak with some others and even sought counsel from others who are long dead and gone through their writings. It's one of the blessings that we have in the Christian faith is hundreds and hundreds of years of godly men writing commentaries, sermons, all these things that we largely still have available to us. James, or uh, Beaky and Smalley, um, who wrote a systematic theology, stated that some of these answers that we'll talk about this morning to some of these questions can be found going back to at least the 4th century. We don't have records of them prior to that. Um, Some of these Conclusions that I've drawn are to be found in the writings of men such as Zanke and the Puritan Thomas Goodwin and in probably the most well-known theologian that's ever come from America, uh, theologian and pastor from the Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards. Uh, Jonathan Edwards writes a lot about this. And I also consulted with some men that are still living today listened to what they they said, and even was blessed to have some phone conversation with one of them. But two of the men who I greatly respect that are still alive today are Jim Gables and Mark Webb. 
And I had a great opportunity to speak with Mark regarding these things. Because there's some things that are, like I said, they're not clearly uh, divulged in Scripture, but there are Scriptures that we can use to connect the dots, if you will, on some of this. But I pray that God will give us discernment this morning as we look into these things. This will kind of be a flyover regarding some of these. Because I, I want and I pray that our chief aim will be to have our focus drawn back to the one who has given us victory over this enemy that we have. That's the, that's the most profound thing. That's the most important thing. Well, who is our enemy? Who is our enemy? Chief enemy is revealed to us in Scripture by many names and by many descriptions. Uh, many of these descriptions we have actually turned into names for our enemy. But more properly, they should be not names, but descriptions of his character, of who he is. We refer to him most often as we find in our, uh, in our passage that we read earlier this morning here in Ephesians 6.11 as the devil. Uh, we also find in Matthew 4.1 that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And then a couple verses later, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. So this is probably the most common way that we refer to this enemy is by designating him the devil. But he's known by other names. He's, he's known by Satan, which Satan is one of those words that actually means our adversary. It's more a descriptor of who he is versus a proper name for him. We find this in Zechariah 3 in verse 1 through 2. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And in Job 1.7, he is referred to as Satan. The Lord said to Satan, or our adversary, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And in Mark 4, verse 15, we read, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan, our adversary, immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Well, he is also the enemy. In Matthew 13, verse 24 through 30, we read, He put another parable before him, before them, that is Christ, put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also, and the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. 
Let them both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Christ then explains in verse 37 who the sower is and who the enemy is. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, Christ. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into a fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. He is the enemy. Well, he is the slanderer, the liar, the father of lies. John eight forty four that we read last week, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He is not only the liar, he's not only the enemy, he is not only our adversary, but he is also the accuser. We already looked at Zechariah 3.1, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And in Revelation 12.10, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. In Revelation 9.11, we have a few more names. They have as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek, he is called Apollyon. Literally, that means destruction or perishing. This is a description of who this enemy is. He is destruction personified. He is the wicked one or the evil one. Second Thessalonians 3.3, 3, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And in Ephesians 6.16 that we will get to, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. He is Belial. In 2 Corinthians 6.15, what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Literally, this means that he is the worthless one. He is wickedness personified. Well, in Ephesians 2, 2, we've already read, He is the prince of the power of the air. 
We read, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, the prin- following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He is called the God of this world, or the ruler of this world. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And in John 12, 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And in Revelation 12, 9, Revelation 12.9 strings many of these things and concepts, concepts together of who and what Satan is. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Well, as we begin to look at the, into the origin of of our enemy, the devil. I'd like to read two passages for you, or with you, and we'll reference these both regarding Satan's origin and Satan's fall. So I want to first turn to Isaiah. Isaiah 14. 12 through 15. I'll give you a chance to turn there. Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn? How are you cut down to the ground who laid the heavens low? You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. And then turn with me to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 28. Starting with verse 11. And we'll read down through verse 17. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold, were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed cherub, anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. 
You corrupted your wisdom. For the sake of your splendor, I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. Well, here in Ezekiel, we find the prophecy being given, a prophecy against the prince of Tyre in verses 1 through 10, and then one directed in verses 11 through 19, which is directed to the king of Tyre. There's a lot that's said in the commentaries and a lot that's preached on these passages. Uh, I think that we have here in the text, and starting in verse 11, something that might rightly be said of an earthly king by way of her, her hyperbole, an exaggerated form of speech. But it is much more suited, much better suited to something regarding a being which is more than a mere man. It has a sort of double reference. I believe this is addressing, as the king of Tyre, the one who is over the man, the one who is over the prince of Tyre, the one who rules over this prince, the lord of this world, the prince of the power of the air, this one who rules over, not as a man, but as this one who rules over the prince of Tyre. Jonathan Edwards in his works lists both this Ezekiel passage, Ezekiel 28, and also the one we read from Isaiah 14 as being a type of Satan. I believe that he's correct in this, and in light of this, we will reference these as we discuss our enemy. Well, when was he created? We don't have a definite answer to that from Scripture. So some pieces are put together and conclusions drawn as to this, and various ideas have, have surfaced. One of the most popular is that Satan was created long, long ago, before the creation of this cosmic world took place. I personally do not hold to this. Uh, that's a view that, uh, the view that this, that the people that hold this view also view that Satan fell during that time before the creation of the world. They place both the creation and the fall outside of time as we can relate to it. I don't hold to this theory. I believe that Satan was created during the time that we refer to as creation. Uh, Ken Ham, some of you may recognize that name. He is the founder of Answers in Genesis and the founder of the Creation Museum. He agrees with this, and during his discussion of this, he references, uh, first and foremost, Colossians 1.16. Colossians 1.16, we've talked about this before. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. This is by Christ all these things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. This shows that the power of Christ, the Logos, the, the, the very Word of God, this second person of the triune Godhead, created all things in heaven and on earth. Not only those things which are visible, but also those things which we do not see with our natural eyes. Thrones, dominions, authorities, all things were created for Him and through Him. Does this sound familiar? 
to what we just read in Ephesians. This is one of the things that has raised a question for me as I begin to think of our enemy's origin, his, his creation, and the creation of those who follow our enemy listed in our Ephesians text. I believe that these beings were also created during creation, possibly prior to man, but during this time, as Genesis 2.1 states, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. Ken Ham mentions this as part of the reason that he believes that our enemy and those who follow him were created during the creation process. This then leads to the question regarding Satan's fall. We do not hold to the belief, and I think I can say this about all Christians, no matter what their take on when Satan was created, I think all Christians who would seek to uphold biblical authority would say that Satan was created, was not created in a sinful state. Let me rephrase that. We hold that Satan was not created in a sinful state, but that he fell. God created a being that we know as Satan. And in the case of of what we are dealing with through our text in Ephesians, beings, he created beings under the authority of another being who fell at some point. Just Just as Adam and Eve were created and fell. But our chief enemy and his followers were not created as sinful beings. I will again reference the two texts that we've mentioned this morning from Isaiah and Ezekiel. Isaiah 14, 12, How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn? And Ezekiel gives a more detailed description of Satan before his fall. In verses 12 through 15 of Ezekiel 28, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, and sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared you were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of stones of fire you walked. You were blameless. You were blameless in your ways. And from the day you were, create, from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. These passages show that there was a being we know to be Satan. We have referenced from Scripture already the ways in which he is referred to, but when he was created, he was Lucifer, as the King James puts it from Isaiah, which means bringer of light or shining one. 
like the day star that rises in the morning, heralding the coming of the rising sun. And Ezekiel describes him as a signet, a sign or a mark of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Ezekiel describes him as being in the garden of God. You ever wondered what Satan was doing in the garden? There was no fear of him that Adam and Eve had in the garden. On day six before the fall, the Bible records in Genesis 1.31 through the first verse of chapter 2, and God saw that everything that He made, and behold, it was very good. Everything that God had made. He looked at and said, it is very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the the earth was finished and all the hosts of them. There was nothing that God made that wasn't good. Everything was very good. Eve had no fear of an evil being in the Garden of Eden. No fear of a fallen evil enemy. I believe that it's at this point. That it's at this point. And here I tend to go in a different direction than what is the popular belief that is out there today. But I believe that Satan at this point was yet unfallen. He was according to the type of him described in Ezekiel, a signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty in the Garden of Eden, the Garden of God. He was an anointed cherub, an anointed guardian cherub, placed on the mountain of God in the presence of the throne where God resides, administering God's government and rule as a servant of the Most High, serving God Almighty, Picture the cherubs fashioned when they made the Ark of the Covenant with their wings spread over the mercy seat, the place where the presence of God resided. Where God dwelt. He was blameless in His ways from the day He was created until, until unrighteousness was found in Him. Well, then something happened, didn't it? Once again, we're not specifically told in Scripture when the fall of Satan happened or how the fall of Satan exactly happened. But I want to draw your attention to the correlation between the passages in Isaiah and Ezekiel with the scene of the fall in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve fell. I would have you ponder the thought that this may very well be the occasion of Satan's fall as well. Remember what we have looked at already. He was in the Garden of Eden. All things that God had made were very good. He was the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Two interesting facts appear when you study this a little bit and have some weight 
through the way in which we translate some of the concepts from the original language into our language today. And I think that these things have a little bit of relevance here that help us to give some, get some insight into this. First is that when Satan first appears in the narrative in Genesis 3, he is said to be crafty, or depending on the translation that you have, subtle. More subtle than any beast of the field. But what I want to point out is that this original word that is translated crafty or subtle may be translated that way because we know the story of Satan and that he is our enemy. And we may have in light when these were translated the fact that we already had this typical view of the fall being prior to creation. But the fact is that the original word that is translated here, also means discerning, sensible, pertaining to wisdom and shrewdness in the management of affairs, prudent, wise. We'll touch on this just a little bit more in a bit. Secondly, I find it very interesting that we tend to think of this form in which Satan appeared as this grotesque, abhorrent, um, like many of us think of snakes. I, I, don't, I don't like snakes. I don't want anything to do with them. I can't stand them. They give me the creepy crawlies. We're repulsed by them. But this original word that is used for serpent here is often used in combination with another word used to describe the concept of serpent in scriptures, in the Old Testament scriptures. That word is found and actually interchanged with the word found here in Genesis 3 for serpent. We find this exchange of words. There are three mentions of serpent in the passage of Numbers 21 where we read about the fiery serpents. These, the, the children of Israel in the wilderness were uh, grumbling, complaining, and God sent serpents into their midst. Do you remember that? And they bit them and they died. And Moses asked the Lord, take, take these serpents away. You know, it, the, the people are dying. And the Lord told him to make a fiery serpent, bronze serpent, raise it on a pole. And if they look to that serpent, they'll live. Foreshadowing something. But Moses prays to God for these serpents to be taken away. And God responds in the middle section of that Numbers 21 passage. He responds telling Moses to make a fiery, a shining serpent and put it on a pole and lift it up. That serpent in the Lord's command to Moses is referred to at that point as a seraph. As a seraph. The same designation that we read of in Isaiah 6, 1 through 2. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train, the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Same word. 
Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. This word seraph is used in conjunction in Old Testament scriptures with the word used for serpent in Genesis 3. Is it possible, then, I'll ask, that Satan in the garden was in fact a creature being of the most beautiful form and wisdom? Would that not fit with what we read in Isaiah and Ezekiel? Compare then the fall. Genesis 3, the serpent. Satan tempts Adam and Eve and they fall. Well, the curse was placed upon Adam and Eve, was it not? A curse was immediately placed upon them. But was a curse not also placed upon the serpent? And it was it not immediate? Genesis 3.14, the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this. Whatever it was that Satan did, God said, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Isaiah 14, verse 12, how are you fallen? From heaven, O day star, son of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground. You shall eat. Uh, excuse me. How are you cut down to the ground, you who laid nations low? And then Ezekiel twenty-eight fifteen. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In verse 16 and 17, in the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. Well, why did Satan do this thing that caused God to cast him to the ground? I would suggest to you from Scripture that it was pride that led to this. In 1 Timothy 3.6, we read something interesting where Paul is telling Timothy about the qualifications of overseers within the church. And he says to Timothy, he must not be a recent convert. Why? Why must he not be a recent convert? Or he may become puffed up with conceit. What is that? It's pride, right? He may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. It was pride that led to Satan's fall. But why? I would again suggest to you that something that we might find to be helpful in understanding what it was. Remember that Satan was before falling. No matter when you regard his fall, he was the highest of created beings. Highest in order, highest in rank among all of creation. 
placed on the mountain of God, the anointed guardian cherub, created and being in close proximity in the immediate presence of the throne of God and above and and about all the business of God's government. He was one of those, if not the one, closest to the throne. But he was not on the throne. It is my belief that God, who created man in his own image, let it be known to the angels that he would have a man upon the throne. A man upon the throne. A man upon the very throne of God to rule over all things in heaven and earth. I'd love to spend more time fleshing this out. But for the sake of time, let me say this, that Satan rebelled against the notion of a man seated upon God's throne and then being called into service to serve man who sits on the throne of God. Because Scripture reveals that this is why angels were created. Hebrews 1.14 Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who, who are to inherit salvation? The idea that the highest of beings would be subject to that of a lesser being Satan could not bear it. Jonathan Edwards says this, Lucifer was his firstborn and was the firstborn of every creature. But when it was revealed to him, high and glorious as he was, that he must be a ministering spirit to the race of mankind, which he had seen newly created, which appeared so feeble, mean, and despicable, so vastly inferior not only to him, but the, the prince of angels and the head of the created universe, but also to the, to the inferior angels, and that he must be subject to one of that race that should hereafter be born, he could not bear it. This occasioned his fall. And now he, with the other angels whom he drew away with him, are fallen and elect men, Elect men are translated to supply their places and are exalted vastly higher than they. So it was that Satan in his wisdom and prudence, or as our translation puts it, crafty, did what he thought was wise to upset the plans of God and sought to and accomplished the deception of Adam and Eve, followed by that sin of Adam that cast all of our race into death. Satan sought to achieve victory over man because he would not serve man. And with murder in his heart, For he knew what God had commanded Adam about eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
He brought death to man through his deception and through his wisdom. He accomplished that which he thought to be the destruction of God's plan to have a man upon the throne of God. This is why John 8.44 refers to Satan as a murderer from the beginning. You are of your father the devil, Jesus told them. And your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and and the father of lies. I do not believe that this comment is in regards to Cain and Abel. This is the cross reference that will appear. If you look in your cross references in your Bible about being a murderer from the beginning, you will see Genesis 4, the account of Cain and Abel. He was a murderer before that. I believe that this is a reference to the fall of Adam and the death that was incurred by that fall by which the devil thought he gained the upper hand and caused man to be unworthy to sit upon the throne of the Most High God. This was in fact the first murder and that which makes Satan, the devil, a murderer from the beginning. This is why we're at war with Satan And all those angels, the third of them who fell with him. Those angels are Satan's seed, along with all who follow them. Not seed by reproductive means, but seed by following him. And the curse was not only that Satan would be disfigured and cast down to the ground, but also, according to Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. But thanks be to God. This is not the end. And Satan, though wise, is not omniscient. And he was unable to see or even imagine this concept and this attribute that had yet to be revealed of grace. He had no, absolutely no understanding of grace and the eternal plan of God, not just to put a man on the throne, but that God's plan was that man to be the God-man. The God-man, truly God, truly man. The Creator. The Creator came in the form of creation, of the creature, to do what Satan would not It was grace that caused God to send the second person of the Trinity to come to this world and take on the form of a servant. Is that not what we read in Scripture? Matthew 20, 28, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Satan could not bear to serve but God Himself came to serve and to give His life. This is what Paul has been so detailed at pointing out to us. Ephesians 1.4 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Ephesians 1.7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. A concept Satan knew nothing about. Ephesians 2, 5 through 9, even when we were dead in trespass, in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Now listen. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Grace. A concept the enemy knew nothing about. Christ placed on the throne and all his people with him raised with him and seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Don't you see the curse put on the serpent in the garden in this? Don't you see it? I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The seed is plural, but the one who shall bruise, who shall crush the serpent's head is singular. It's Christ. Satan will cause his heel to be bruised. It's temporary. It's a minimal scar. The murderer didn't even know or begin to suspect that the plan of God was to raise the Son of God in victory over sin and death. That the Son of God would come and willingly sacrifice himself as satisfaction for the sins of Adam and Adam's race. If Satan had known this, he would not have sought to kill Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.8 None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. I don't think that this is talking about the rulers of this physical world. This is talking about those who were in rule over them. They followed their father, the devil. But this is why Christ came. The work of Satan was to murder and to keep man off the throne so that in his pride and his high and lofty estate, he would not have to serve man. He thought his work succeeded. Remember John 8, 44. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in, them, in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. 
Well, John makes another very, very similar statement in 1 John. Listen to this. 1 John 3, 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. This is what we see in Revelation 12. Revelation 12 speaks of Satan accusing the saints before the throne of God. Why does he accuse them? Why? Because he knows that they are sinful and are not worthy in and of themselves. They rebelled against God. Satan knows this. But when Christ rose, and when Christ ascended, and when Christ was seated on the throne, a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against Satan and his fallen angels, and they were removed from access to the heavens before the throne of God. Revelation 12, 9 through 12, And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come to you in great wrath, because he knows that the time is short. And then we read that the dragon, Satan, our, our great enemy, became furious and went off to make war with the rest of the woman's offspring. Enmity between the woman, the seed of the woman, and the seed of the serpent. He went off to make war with the rest of the woman's offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, do you see the war that is set before us? The battle in which we're engaged? Do you see that we must fight this battle not as Adam fought? In his own understanding? By his own wisdom? His own power? Do you see why Paul would labor so much to point us to the plan of God? brought about by the work of Christ and sealed for us, guaranteed to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. Be strong in the, in the Son of God who appeared to destroy the works of the devil, to undo what Satan had done in the Garden of Eden. The work of the devil was to bring about death. Be strong in the Lord who swallowed death up in victory. 
1 Corinthians 15. 54 through 58, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved. Finally, my brethren. Therefore, my beloved, he says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Take up the whole armor of God that you may stand immovable against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Be strong in the Lord. Stand in Him. Let's pray. Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank You for Christ who is our all in all. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins that is found in his shed blood. We thank you for the robe of righteousness that is given to us that we might stand before you, reconciled to you. We thank you that by him we are adopted. Through Him we are adopted as sons. So unworthy, so vile, so wretched in sin. But He is worthy. Thank You for salvation. Thank You that we might stand in Him. against our enemy, against his hosts, that we are confident that Christ has achieved the victory and will bring us to glory. We thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.